Our goal hasn't changed since 2009. We support, promote, engage, and inspire the arts community by igniting the ghost light that shines on the stages of the up-and-coming, the unsung heroes, the brilliant writers, and the dynamic designers. Stay tuned. Rep Radio is on the air. My son the other day was like, why do you have screen time and I don't? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fair point, but you also have to understand mommy does her work yeah. online, you know, emails, con- you know, yeah. connected with people, but I should watch my own screen time. You're right. You know, let me show you something. Why are we at your closet? Cause I want to show you all the hats I wear <laughs> <laughs> and the mommy hat is right there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's, I mean, I, it's a really tricky time to be a theater maker. True. Um, and I'm really, I, I'm cognizant of that and I know I'm going to make mistakes. Mm. Um, and I know I'm going to, um, tell stories that don't resonate with everyone or I'm going to tell stories and not honor everything I need to honor. And I, I just hope that in my pursuit of that, I'm opening the room to everybody's voice and what that voice is, you know, and how to tell these stories. And I I don't know the answer to all the questions I think. And I don't think shows or plays should answer all the questions. I think they should mm-hmm. ask them. Um, but I also don't think we know all the answers. And and what what is our job as theater makers? Well, I think it, I think also um, uh, the the play um, equivocation mm-hmm. uh, made a reference to um, people coming to theater as is, as if it's gospel. Right. And so we're looking for all of those words to be law. So everything we're hearing from this from this playwright, from this actor, we're, you know, there's a part of us that wants to walk out into the world quoting that. Right. And as if it is the only definitive answer. Right. When these are stories. There's- you know, we're we're putting we're creating characters who have a different perspective. And they're speaking from their voice. Right. You know, and not necessarily the voice of the playwright or even the voice of the actor portraying the role. Right. And there's this, there's, I think it's getting a little confusing in that you go to the theater nowadays and you see it, somebody says something on stage. Well, that must mean that's what that person believes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. If I play a murderer on stage, does that exactly. mean I'm a murderer in exactly. my life? You know, exactly. and I, I feel like that line is getting mm-hmm. very unclear. Mm-hmm. And so if we portray the ugliness of humanity on stage, does that mean we, the theater makers, condone that behavior? Yes, yes. Sometimes we have to show the ugly mm-hmm. to show the beautiful yes. or to show the redemption mm-hmm. or to show... The, the wonders of humanity. And, um, and I know it's a really tricky 
landscape. Um, and so it's something I struggle with constantly. Is it, is it, ta- <laughs> is it taboo to say, like, my favorite musical is Assassins, you know, or, right. or something? Or, or, <laughs> or, or Gypsy. Like, yeah. you, you, you know, that word is so loaded now. And, and <laughs> I, I actually never seen or read that musical. But, um, you, you, know, it, you know, or The Merchant of Venice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, these are plays that come loaded with their past and yeah. what the people that are being presented and the the uh, the stories that are being told. How do we do that? How yeah. do we honor uh, people's stories while at the same time asking the tough questions? I don't mm-hmm. know the answer to that. I mean, um, we're somewhat fortunate in regional theater. We have a little bit more time to engage in a conversation after the show Mm -hmm. we can do a talk back um but sometimes the work is just there and we don't have the playwright so we can't even defend the playwright and sometimes the criticism that is being received is about the piece itself Mm -hmm. you know if if a if a critic starts with i've always hated this play it's like oh yeah Where are we going? I know. It's like, forget it now, because you can't even be like this stellar cast, uh, polished an old turd, you know, (laughs) anything like that. You know, people are going to be like, oh, it's not, I mean, this writer didn't even love it with this. Why do it if it's going to be, yeah, like, like, for instance, this play, Mariah Martin, or The Murder in the Red Barn, is, it's barely um scrapes the top of the is it is it a good play it's it's very poorly written it's sometimes so laughably what you know um but it it, it's a melodrama and i don't think many 21st century audiences have seen a mel i've never seen a melodrama yeah a pure melodrama with the tableaus and the big emotions and the ridiculousness and the the, the, they call them utility gents the guys that come out and do the silly jokes and then they walk off you Mm. know um we as a 21st century audience don't know that but does that mean it doesn't have a place in the world um but it portrays really big human emotions. And so yeah. that's really nice to see that in stark relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're not kidding ourselves. We're not saying this is, <laughs> this is high art. No, it's really quite ridiculous. And the, it's so ridiculous you laugh. Yeah. You know, um, but there's tragedy in the play. And for me, if you look at the sort of the, the scope of human emotions, tragedy and comedy sit so close to each other that it's almost like on a hair's breath. And he's like people who laugh in funerals, you know what I mean? Like, why are they yeah. laughing? Because it's so tragic to them. It's funny. But well, they've got this you know? anxiety. They, they've got to let it out somewhere. Exactly. Or somehow. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, like there, it, it, this play is so, it, you have a scene where something really awful happens. And then the very next scene is doopie 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 yeah. doo. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the people who originally put this script together, because uh, I have a theory that, yes, it's written by Anonymous, but I have a theory that it was a bunch of people that came together and made a play. And mm-hmm. were like, isn't this ridiculous? And it became this let's sort of. Let's not put our name on it. Let's put that over <laughs> our name on it. And and they wanted to put the comedy and the tragedy right next to each other because they, that's what life is. You could wake yeah. up one morning, win the lottery, step outside your door, and get run over by a bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, definitely yeah. It's kind of the way the world works. Mm-hmm. 
the glamour next to the the degradation. Yeah, you know. Um, so it, yeah, it all of these things come into making theater in this <laughs> landscape, and it's a I think a fascinating time to be making theater, but a really really tricky one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, listeners, if <laughs> you did not. Um, you did not miss the beginning of this <laughs> we episode. Uh, it was started like this intently. Uh, welcome to Rep Radio. I'm your host, Darnell Radford, and today I am in uh, Rep Radio Studio B with uh, <laughs> director Charlotte Northeast. Hello! <laughs> Charlotte, welcome to Rep Radio! Thank you! Uh, as we've been chatting for about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this person? Um, <laughs> This is your first time on Rep Radio. No, I think you... Did you interview me for Fair Maid of the West? Uh, probably. I mean, the, the church at Broad yeah. Street. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah. Another There's silly comedy. 530 plus episodes. Of course. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> unless, 20... I, unless I do a quick search through the website for names to see if they come right. up. I'm just like, wait a minute. Did I... Yeah, yes. yeah, that was another, yeah, 2015, I think. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. But I see you all the time. Uh, you light up every stage that you're on. <laughs> and I always think it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so, you know, I feel, and I, and I feel like our community feels this way too when they see um, people that, when they think about it, they've seen the same artists continue to, uh, develop and grow as artists over time, and we're like, I'm. It's like I'm a part of your life. I'm, kind of, I'm like in the back seats. You can't. You can't even tell I'm here tonight. I'm. I'm not going to approach you after the show. But I'm so a part of your life right now because I'm in it. And it's just like, oh, that's so great. And I feel like uh, I hope people feel the way I feel. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm watching everybody grow and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I do get a chance to sit down and sort of catch up, I feel so good about that because, you know, I've, I've been there with you, maybe not in the rehearsal room, but at some point I've seen what you've worked so hard on. Right. And, uh, you know, I can point out some moments where, uh, where you really stood out for me. And, uh, you know, I always think that that's a great thing. So I hope, I hope our listeners feel that way. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful feel like, thing to uh, hear. <laughs> I feel like I always saw you on stage at Lantern. Lantern? Maybe. Uh, I've been there uh, twice. Yeah. Twice at Lantern. Yeah. Um, and then definitely with, with Pack, of course. And then I feel like I see everybody in lobbies all the time. <laughs> that's, that's what we tend to, to congregate. And There's free trying, yeah. trying to get out of Trying to get out of the habit of saying, like, so what are you working on? You know, that's like it's, the inside, that's like the insider question. I'm just trying to have, like, a real conversation. What, after, what did you have for dinner last right, night? Right, right. Did you watch that episode of Jeopardy where there was a tie? <laughs> that was crazy. No, I'm trying to get out of that habit too because yeah. I, you know, you have good years and bad years, and so uh-huh. you don't want to set that off because mm-hmm. uh, then you have to be like, I am up to being me right now, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. And then when you find out like uh, just snippets of of your personal life, you're just like, oh, I didn't know, or somebody else knows a whole lot about your personal life, right? And I'll just say, I, I just remember. I just remember you were in shitheads. I was <laughs> you know, in shitheads. Say something like that. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. say. Um, that was a things. fun one. Man, yeah. I love doing that show. Yeah, such a such a cool space. I feel yeah. like uh, 
There used to be, uh, we used to make a joke that said, uh, you know, uh, men look 10% better in Abercrombie and Fitch, <laughs> even though it's like a terrible brand. Right. But <laughs> that's why people like shop at Abercrombie, partly right. because of the, the message that they would put out. They right. always had somebody out there going, you can look as good as me. <laughs> Maybe, but not necessarily. But all of, uh, I feel that way about the Drake I feel like everything there just shines a little bit brighter because of that space. And I don't know if it's necessarily because it's new or just because it's just well thought out. It's just such a well thought out space. I think, I think that, and it, 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 it's, it's got this really great community attached to it. You know, uh, like every time I go there, I see like, yeah, they did a great job and, and it's for what it, what it stands for, you know, that it's a place for new plays. It's a place for the community coming together. I mean, every time I go there, even if it's just to like drop off paperwork, I see like four people I know. Yeah, and, and and you can't walk in, you can't go in and out. I was just dropping this thing off. No, hi. no, you're like, you're oh, like, hi. Hi. you know. And there's there's <laughs> there's always somebody making something there. Yeah, um, and it's sort of it's soaked in uh, art being made, which is always yes. a great environment to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, it smells like paint and wood chips and. Um, creative energy and yeah it's a it's a really neat complex yeah um and i don't know it's something you can't really put your mm-hmm. your hands on but it's a uh, it's good i i like i like my element of attachment to the drake i don't have the financial tie to the drink <laughs> like i don't have the responsibility yeah. of keeping the drake as awesome as it is mm-hmm. but i have an attachment to the drake that just makes me feel good too so thanks a lot seth and the gang over yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. and i think that's for what doing going- all the heavy lifting right exactly and i think that's what they're going for yeah is that they want people coming in and out of those doors feeling that they they're a part of it yeah you know um, but we're not, uh, we're not, uh, unintentionally fluffing up the Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I expect my check in the mail, Seth. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're here to talk about, uh, Philadelphia Artist Collective mm-hmm. and, uh, the upcoming production of, uh, I was saying Maria. It's, yeah, we're saying Mariah. Mariah um, Martin. Mm-hmm. Mariah Martin or the murder in the red barn. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those titles. Yeah. It's totally ridiculous. It's like just pick one. I'm going to see the murder of the red barn. Yeah. <laughs> the murder in the red barn. And and it's because I mean it, it's it's it was based on a real murder. It mm. took place in 1827 and you know the red barn which is where it took place um and Mariah Martin became household names. Hmm. So I think the, the crowd at the time was, you know, you could pick one or the other, but they were synonymous with this great tragedy that happened. Um, and, uh, the murderer, uh, a real guy called, uh, William Corder, uh, was a bad dude from jump street. Like he was born bad. (laughs) His father was a good guy. His mother was a good guy. Uh, they were wealthy landowners, and but from the minute he was born, William Corder was a bad guy. He just he was writing bad checks. He mm. was gambling debts. He was a liar. He was a thief. He was a fraud. He was all these things, and he unfortunately got involved with a Abagnale Trump. Uh, yeah, he was, he's he's all of those guys. He's <laughs> all of those guys, but in like better clothes. Uh, back in eighteen twenty seven, and he got involved with a young country gal called Mariah Martin, who in the play is a lot more. Um, you know, they the, the dramatists have had their their say in making her a little more um, 
higher virtue, I'd say. Mm. Uh, but in real life, she wasn't. She was uh, she was trying to go up the ladder. Mm. Uh, she was a, a poor, poor uh, country lass who had barely any education and ended up getting involved with the wrong people, mm. most especially William Corder, who did end up killing her and putting her body in the red barn. Mm. Um, there is the story that her stepmother dreamt, because William Corder said he married her and took her off to London. But her whole her body was in the red barn the whole time. Because back then you can fabricate that kind of. You life. can kind of do that for, for a little bit, and nobody goes what? what you know we don't have the speed oh, of communication. So she's, so she's gone now. She's gone. Oh. And, and in those times when you married, you basically left your family. You might not never see them again. So <laughs> back then it was like oh she's gone to London. She's married a wealthy guy. Wow, she's really gone up in the world. Yeah. Um. But her, I have her shawl. She I left have, it on the couch. Dang, I should get that to her. Oh, the UPS doesn't exist yet. <laughs> um, but uh, her Wells step, Fargo. Not, not, yet, not, not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Let me know it's when fine. it's 1858. Um, but her stepmother, in real life, dreamt that the bo- her body was in the red barn, and then when she finally asked her husband to go check, they did find her body in the red barn. Mm. William Corder was discovered in London. He, had, he was trying to marry up and settle his gambling debts. Like I said, bad dude. They brought him back to Polstead, which is this little town in, in, in England, and uh, they hung him. And they estimate between seven to 10,000 people showed up at the hanging. Wow. He, it was the great scandal of the day. It was, you name it, you know, the latest Kardashian thing, the latest, <laughs> you name it, it was that of 1827. Um, they cut his body down. Um, they made a death mask out of his face. Mm. And they made a book out of his skin. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can see them today in England in a tiny little museum. Um, and they, his skull was kept by a local physician who ended up getting rid of it because it, it, um, apparently it made his house haunted. So there is a lot tied to this story in terms mm. of the actual events. Um, but it was such a sensation that it, it, a bunch of theatricals came together and made a play called Mariah Martin or the Murder in the Red Barn, and it was huge. It was the star of the melodrama stage. Um, mm. And so they took some liberties with it, um, and uh, which is... We've taken some liberties with that, and yeah. so here we are presenting it today. Um, it is ridiculous. <laughs> it is all of those things. And I don't pretend to say, oh, well, like, murder is funny. Um, but I think watching a guy get his comeuppance mm. is very satisfying. You know, somebody who's really bad. We love It's not it. so much the act, it's the execution. Exactly, pun intended, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, we we see we see a lot of you know we especially in Philadelphia know the power of the underdog. Mm-hmm. We love watching the underdog win. Oh, yesterday and, we just proved it. Oh my god, the underdog can. Yeah, like the underdog is greater than the president right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I've really tried to tell with this story that yes, Mariah pays a very very dear price. But she ultimately triumphs because she is the true human and hero of the story. He's an unrepentant, terrible person mm. and just gets exactly what he deserves. But she, through her acts and through her family's forgiveness and through the things that her family does, 
they show the true side of humanity, and that's to me where the importance of this story is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and we get the added bonus. This is some really dumb stuff in between. There's yeah. some really ridiculous <laughs> jokes. Uh, the the there's the village fool, who's just lovably of the moment at any <laughs> given time and there's some silly gags and all sorts of stuff so it's two hours of ridiculousness with a murder in between <laughs> yeah. uh, so so how does uh, so how does Pack come across a piece like this uh, written by Anonymous <laughs> written by how, Anonymous how do you even find it and let alone the story of, that revolves around it as well well uh, yeah. most of what we find so Damon Benetti and Dan Hodge who are the co-founding artistic directors have this ridiculously large encyclopedic knowledge of these obscure plays <laughs> and I don't know how they do this but uh, this particular play was brought to me by Dan Hodge who has had it sort of in his back pocket for years and he was like look at this thing and I read it, and I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I love it. Um, and when I say dumb, I, I mean that in, like, I'm owning that word in a new way. Like, I I think the sublimely stupid is really funny. That would have been a great commercial. Hey, I've got this thing. Like, like literally, you had this in your back yeah, pocket? Yeah, you literally. Yeah, you just had me the script. <laughs> um, so Dan Hodge brought it to my attention, and um, and I read it, and I was like, oh, this is so ridiculous. I love it. Um, <laughs> we could have so much fun with this. Um, and, uh, and then you start to go down the rabbit hole of the internet and you go, mm -hmm. oh, wow, this is based on so many things. Um, and it's had such a history and I love the feeling of creating the melodrama stage, creating what, when you see it at, at the, the, the Drake, we've built a little jewel box theater. It's mm. this little tiny theater in a theater, you know, like there's a little <laughs> stage and a proscenium arch and the little curtain and the roll drops come down. It's, it's exactly what, and there's footlights. It's it already looks cute. <laughs> it's a very cute little theater. And so we wanted, we want our audiences to have that experience of like going in and being, this is what it was like back then, uh -huh. you know, minus the actual flames of the lights yeah, <laughs> and yeah. other dangerous assortments, you know. But um, then, but then, but back then the excitement was, this is live. Mm -hmm. And sort of anything can happen, mm -hmm. and we don't know what to expect. Right. I mean, there's so much in the canon that we already know where it's going, or right. we can spot these tropes. But you know, yeah. I, I kind of wish I could. I kind of wish we could go back to that that time where we just didn't have any reference. Well, and that's that's what I think. The pack, we really get this fringe benefit out of people come to our shows not knowing the show. Yeah. And people go to Hamlet, and they have ideas about Hamlet. Mm -hmm. They have thoughts about Hamlet. They want to see their Hamlet a certain way. Yeah. You come to Mariah Martin, <laughs> you kind of let off the hook a little bit. Yeah. You know, and the same with Timon of Athens or Fair Maid of the West, any of the other plays that we've done. Unless you're a super college nerd, you mm -hmm. know, which is a great thing, but, like, unless you're a Dan Hodge or a Damon <laughs> Benetti... You don't know these plays, mm -hmm. and it's 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 quite lovely to walk into a, a room and go, I don't know, you know. And I think that's why people love new plays as well. We're not so far away from each other. Yes, they're yeah. classics, but new <clears throat> plays are the same. We don't know what's going to happen. Take us on that journey. People love being told a story mm -hmm. that hasn't changed for millennia. Ever, ever since humans could speak, we told stories. So how do we how do we continue to keep that? that joy alive and that spark 
And so we just happen to find really old things that people have probably forgotten about and uh, give them new life. Are we always successful? Not always. <laughs> sometimes we are. Sometimes, you know, you go, ah, oh, yeah, that does need to, that does need to come back. Um, and I'm just hoping people come into this theater, have a good laugh, and leave with a smile on their face, you know? If there was a marquee for a packed show, instead of now showing him, it should say, now departing. Now departing, <laughs> yeah. It's an escape. It is an <laughs> escape. And we... We take it very seriously that you are in. You have chosen to turn off all the outside electronics and distractions and be in a room in real time with real people, both sitting next to you and up on the stage. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've ever been to a pack show, you're going to be involved somehow. You know, it, whether it's somebody talking directly to you, somebody asking you a question, somebody maybe even involving you in some way. A, a pack show is not a place where you can just sort of sit in, in the dark and and fall asleep. We're, we're not that type of theater. Yeah. Um, and we do that because we're human beings on stage, and human beings on stage <laughs> are flesh and blood, and they're imperfect. for your attention. Yeah, and they're imperfect, <laughs> and they're going to ask you questions, and they're going to struggle, and they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to do all sorts of things that humans do. So why not involve the audience in that? Yeah. Um, and I feel, I feel like it makes it such a visceral experience for audiences. You know, we, we're used to sitting in a movie and be like, oh, I can just check out. Mm -hmm. You can't check out in a pack show. <laughs> I encourage you not to check out in a pack show. <laughs> uh, so uh, what's, the re what's the rehearsal process like for a piece like this? It's been super fun. Well, I should say... Um, we do have an added twist on this play mm -hmm. in that the two co-founding artistic directors yep. are in the show playing two roles. Mm -hmm. So I'll backtrack a little bit. So when we decided we wanted to do this, Dan and Damon both came up to me and said, I want to play the villain, William Porter. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's kind of what do we do with that. I said, I can't have the two co-founding artistic directors audition for me. That seems yeah. weird. Um, and there are two ridiculous roles in the play. Only well, if you stage it and capture it. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. The audition for Yeah, Mariah excuse Martin me. We'll call you. Thanks, Or the next. murder in the red barn. <laughs> who do we have next? Next, Damon who? <laughs> um, so, so I came up with this idea. Bonnety? That, but Bonnety? <laughs> who are you? Um, there's two, there's lots of ridiculous characters in this, but there's, there's, you know, there's Corder, the villain, and then there's this guy, Tim Bobbin, who's just this lovable, ridiculous person in the play, and he's, he's the comic foil, mm -hmm. and I was like, I came up with this idea, I was like, oh my goodness, why don't you both play them? So every night they switch. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> so the rehearsal process has been really interesting because we have to rehearse them at the same time. Hmm. Uh, much like, I guess, True West, they did it with John Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley, or Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley, and Little Foxes with Cynthia Nixon, and oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. They switched every night. Yeah. Um, so what we did with this was, and I have the most incredible cast, so patient, so generous, mm -hmm. because we would rehearse the scene, and then I go, okay, great, Damon, you're in, and we would switch. Hmm. Now, are they the exact same performances? Nope. Uh, they're mostly the same blocking. They're mostly the same jokes, but sometimes they're not. They're not the same interpretation at all. Damon's bobbin is different than Dan's bobbin. Damon's mm. quarter is different than Dan's quarter. 
Um, and the cast has been so wonderful in adapting to whoever is in those shoes, literally, mm-hmm. that night. Um, and trying to find the melodramatic truth has been really interesting. Like, what is truth in this world? What is big emotion in this world while not being, while not commenting on it? Because if you comment on it, it's done. You know, you have to own it. Yeah. If I'm having a big emotion, I'm having a big emotion. But at the minute I go, uh, the audience mm. checks out. Um, so yeah, the, the challenges of t- the two actors flipping. Uh, the great thing is that they have the exact same size. So mm, they wear the good. same costume. Same <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> you know, I looked at them. I was like, you do have the same size shoes. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so it's been really wonderful and, um, and, and challenging. I mean, they haven't had as much time with each role to really get to, you know, at this point in the process, we're about to open, you know, in two days. As an actor, you're like, oh, I got this. They kind of got this, but they have to be really much on, uh, very much on their toes and same with the cast. Yeah. Uh, Because like I said, they're not the same performances. Hmm. So you do have to see it twice to get the full effect. Well, I was, and I was thinking at first, I was like, well, I guess it's the equivalent of, of working with an understudy. But it's not because their choices are different. Their choices are different. <clears throat> their their interpretation is different. Yeah. Um, they definitely uh, get influenced by each other, and mm. some of the best jokes they kind of steal from steal each from other. They go, <laughs> like, "Oh no, that's good." I'm yeah. um, but they, as actors, they they have different processes, and I think that's been really interesting for them to figure out how their process is processes intersect and diverge and uh, how they how they come to the same place or not yeah. at any given moment um and they're both scientists of comedy like you know down to the what is this mm-hmm. moment um but they have different methods <laughs> you know celsius versus fahrenheit like yeah, how do you <laughs> damon's had it damon's had a nice nerd out moment on rep radio <laughs> and i love that too there's nothing more exciting than than to dive into the passion behind right uh anything you do like even if you know like oh it's obviously absurd we're gonna have so much fun with this mm. and because of all the thought we've put into right you know this this mess of a piece not not that it's necessarily a mess but I mean, when you read it, you go, what? You know, there's some messy parts. Uh, But most of the classics that we do are pretty messy. But I imagine that would give you a whole lot, that would uh, get your gears going more to think about, oh, so I think there, I mean, do you have more of an opportunity in uh, putting, not necessarily your stamp on this, but sort of like reimagining this. Yeah. Um, because of how it's written. Because of, yeah, exactly. It's, and especially because of the world that we're in. Yeah. You know, um, when you, the, the things that were acceptable back in 1827 are not necessarily acceptable today. So how do you take a play and still honor the basic filaments of the story while still making sure that a 21st century audience has an access point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, 
and how do you make clunky, strange writing work? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real challenge. And I think sometimes we've been really successful. Um, and sometimes you're like, just go really fast. Just, just drive that through, you know. <laughs> um, and there are surprisingly moments in this play that are beautifully written. And you go, oh, that must have been when Doug was in that day. Like, he wrote that bit, you know. Um, and then other times you're like, oh, Steve was there. Steve, you know, whatever. But it's, you can, t- that's why I think a group wrote it. Because there's, there's moments that really work and moments that, ooh, you yeah. know. And we've cut some that just were incomprehensible to us. Mm. Um, and uh, all respect to Anonymous, whoever you, yeah. they are. Um <laughs> We've done it with love. <laughs> Mail call. Um, apparently, we're being sued. We're by being anonymous. Su- we're being sued for the cease and desist letter from beyond. You know, I, I have no doubt that when I do meet Saint Peter, there's like a pile of mail for me that I'm going to have to answer for for all the crimes against playwrights that I've done in my I life. Just figured they'd wait wait for you right here. Yeah, I mean, when I it's funny when I work on a new play with a playwright in the room how different that process is uh-huh. and 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 yeah rightfully so the respect that should be given to a playwright yeah. and i think we do bring that into the room when we're dealing with a deceased playwright mm-hmm. but at the same time like you don't mind do you yeah. we're, we're producing your work like <laughs> yeah. please know it's with love <laughs> um and uh you know, there's a reason that plays exist in the public domain mm-hmm. is that because we we do need to in order for them those stories to be told, we do have to adapt and yeah. change and and tweak and revise and take these plays on a different path than they were intended. Yeah. Um, so uh, so we talked about scenic design. We're going back to a classic, uh, a tiny proscenium, tiny little theater <laughs> in yeah. uh, in this open. Um, I don't know. Can you consider the Bloober a black box? That's not really a black box. It's it's it is a I mean I guess in the in the sense that it's a to choose your own adventure. It, every time I go in there it's different, which yeah. I love. Mm-hmm. Um from what I'm hearing from the Interact staff, we are the first to make a tiny little theater yeah, within a theater. <laughs> um so I'm I'm glad we have that um reputation now. Um put a sign up. The yeah. little theater We're the presents. Te- yeah, the teensy <laughs> and, and there's there's I won't give it away but we do I have a, so many marketing ideas for this. If you please share them because we need to sell tickets to the show. <laughs> but we have a little proscenium arch that's mm-hmm. been painted by our set designer Brian McCann who's done an amazing job. And I won't give it away, but there is like a moment of just shamelessness in the set. This tiny little theater has a little thing in the set that's like, really, guys? That's shameless. (laughs) Like, it's shameless. All right, so to see if I can point it out. I will will tell you, it is dead center in the proscenium (laughs) arch. You just go in and be like, those guys have no shame. (laughs) Because we've given ourselves a shout out. For such a tiny theater, <laughs> does it have to do with comedy and tragedy? No, it does not. No, yeah. we we basically put our name on the arch. Oh, okay. Well, it's your but it is. But it's like it's shameless. Yeah. It's like who does that? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's it's. I hope it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know, it's just like look at us. We're ridiculous. Uh, so we talked. Uh, so we talked about some scenic design, but you've got some original music. In we this as do, well. yeah. Andrew Clotworthy is um, our musician genius, and he's been so wonderful in the process. Um, 
he w worked with us in Changes of Heart back in 2012, and he does our uh, two-man Christmas carol every year. He does the, the, the music and the foley um, in that. And uh, I knew that I wanted a live soundscape in this. I didn't want speakered sound um, because, you know, people did watch shows back then with the live musician. Mm -hmm. And so what he's able to do with a, a very nice keyboard um, is create this whole extra character in the play, essentially. Like, every character has a theme. So when Mariah walks on, you start to hear her lovely music. And when Corder comes on, you know, you hear, which was very melodramatic. Everybody had their own theme song. And when those those characters sort of intersect how the music changes, he does sound effects mm. that... And he's been present at, I'd say, 98% of the rehearsals. Uh, I, I, didn't, I said, you can be here when... You know. He said, no, i got to be there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's been so wonderful to have this extra element in here. And the, the, the great thing is the characters interact with Andrew. Okay. And... And and poor Andrew's been he's been such a good sport because the actors are like Andrew play me off <laughs> and uh, I I imagine he'll he'll hate the sound of his own name by the end of this run because he he's such a presence in the show um, and but the music we we did a tiny rehearsal the other day where he he was still setting up and not having the music there it was really palpable yeah you're like this is such a part of this. Um, oh, cool. And it's hilarious. Like, yes. <laughs> some of the stuff he does, you're like, really? Great. It's, yeah. yeah. It, it's a great element to the show. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I will Yay. be in the house. Yay. One of those nights. Um, I, I, so I've been, ending, I've been ending these conversations by asking what presents a sense of urgency for you as an artist? Um, but I guess I would put that to to the company, like uh, not necessarily urgency, but like what do you look for in in um, what you're bringing to the stage? Well, I think <clears throat> if you look at our season this past season as a whole, you know, in the fall we presented Iphigenia at Aulis, which was which is, I can never get that name right. I know I can barely the spell one it. on the boat. The oh one God, on the it was boat. So beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful and. And it's a classic tragedy. Um, and I think what Pack does really well is that we bring tragedy to its its heights. But in a sense of balance, there's the other side of that. You know, there's the comedy and tragedy masks for a reason. Yes. And so when we chose this season, you know, we, we knew Iphigenia was where the tragedy would live. And we knew with Mariah we wanted <laughs> the sublime ridiculous to live. Yeah. And I feel like we're honoring those two balances um, mm. as theater makers. And I love watching people leave a theater with a smile on their face. Right. I feel like that is such an important, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know if it always gets the importance assigned to it that it should, but enjoying a moment in real time with real people, whether that's crying laughing, being shocked, all of those things has a place. Yeah. Uh, and, I f and I really hope that with Mariah, um, yes, we tell a story about real human beings, but that you laugh <laughs> and have a good time. <laughs> Charlotte, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. 
the production is Mariah Martin. Or The Murder in the Red Barn. (laughs) (laughs) Written by Anonymous, uh, produced by Philadelphia Artists Collective, is um, on stage at the Lewis Bluver Theater at the Drake, and uh, it is running now through, um, pretty much through the end of June June 24th. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get your tickets and information by going to Phila Artists collective.org <laughs> <laughs> we did ourselves no favors with that name but yes but I feel like there was some thought in there Philartists Philartists it's Philartists collective yeah just put in Philadelphia Artists Collective into Google yeah. and it should come up I've right. always found it so yeah. it's never been a problem <laughs> but yes it's, it's been a pleasure chatting and uh, I look forward to uh to seeing what Pac does in the blooper. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in today. Our goal hasn't changed since 2009. We support, promote, engage, and inspire the arts community by igniting the ghost light that shines on the stages of the up-and-coming, the unsung heroes, the brilliant writers, and the dynamic designers. Stay tuned. Rep Radio is on the air.